Hi, Jersey here. Rob and I are rebroadcasting an episode from the archives this week while we work on some new things for Lean Into Art, one of which we can name right now, though. Lean Into Art is now on Discord. The invitation link is posted in this episode's description. And you can join us there to comment on and discuss episodes of the show, propose topics for future episodes, and there's even more channels for leaners who support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash art, by the way. And speaking of which, while there is a Patreon ad later in this episode, I would like to thank five people who have been supporting us lately on patreon.com slash art. the way where you can, you know, make the show more sustainable by chipping in as little as a dollar a month. And here are five people who have been doing exactly that. Greg Horvath. Thank you, Greg, for believing in us and what we do. You can find Greg on Twitter at IGMHorv77. Also, thank you to Becca Hilburn. Thank you so much, Becca, for supporting us. You can find Becca on Twitter and on most sites as Natto Soup. And Rachel Ross. Thank you, Rachel. Longtime supporter of the show. You can find Rachel on Twitter at NYC Terris, T-E-R-I-S. Also, Stephen Stonebush. Thank you, Stephen. It means a lot to us that you believe in us and what we do. And finally, thank you to Jonathan Wernson. You can join them all at patreon.com slash leanintoart where you'll find all the episodes we make as well as the extra leans, the shows we record only for people who support us on Patreon. And now it's also a way for you to uh, connect with us on the Discord channels that are made just for people who support us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash leanintoart is the website once again. Thanks to everybody who supports us there. So now, please enjoy episode 201, The Influence of Constraint. This is a fun one from back in 2017, where Rob and I talk about how the work is changed by the tools we use. And the case in point I bring to the discussion is how my choice in combining letterpress and silk screens to create the cover of a mini-comic created a cascading effect that directed the overall design of the book itself. So, here we go. Hi there. Welcome to the Lean Into Art cast, a show where a few visual storytellers get together and engage with a different kind sort of tease out different kinds of visual storytelling topics, uh, making stuff, the lifestyle of people who make stuff, the kind of meta challenges that come around a lifestyle of making stuff. We think hard about visual storytelling, so you will too. My name is Jersey Droz. I'm a cartoonist and I'm a teaching artist and the other host is... Ah, hey, I am Rob Stenzinger. I am a uh, user experience and game designer user experience and game designer and a cartoonist in a podcast what what is that i <laughs> this is a weird box of stuff we should send it back i don't know <laughs> did you order this <laughs> who knew that disciplines can cross over with one another surely there must be something wrong um hey rob how you doing well i'm doing pretty well doing uh I am uh what I I think I'll just mention it since Yeah, I think I think you should come out and and, uh, and um, admit it to the audience. I'm 8 days on greatly reduced caffeine. So, I don't know. I've 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 been told I can have a mellow demeanor and I don't know what'll happen now. <laughs> time is going to stop. <laughs> I might cause a time error <sighs> somehow rob, rob is going to actually get so mellow he's going to cause local time dilation where he feels like everything's happening normally but by the time he stops talking we're all 300 years older <laughs> like where'd everybody go 
This doesn't say Google anymore. <laughs> like, this doesn't say Robotron Hangouts. <laughs> All right. Oh, oh but what, caffeine, no caffeine. Wow. That's well, slightly uh, reduced, yeah. A couple of green teas as opposed to like approximately six coffees. Like that's like one of my last really big vices is, is a, a lot of caffeine, a lot of coffee. Mm. Um, I don't know. And we've never, I don't think we've ever talked about that as a topic, have we? I No, we have not. And we've done self-care episodes, but not like, like food, I don't think. Mm. Yeah, true. But um, yeah, this is, this is an experiment. It's a time of year where I tend to take on those kind of challenges and, uh, it's uh it's it's been going well like i said eight days so far and this is you know just my quirky thing that i do where i'm like well that sounds like a good challenge so yeah why not we are entering the season of challenges it it occurred to me the the other day that um inktober is coming right around the corner Mm -hmm. you know uh roughly speaking uh right after that is art sound off Mm mm-hmm (laughs) <laughs> and these are art challenges with different kinds of constraints uh, to get you motivated to engage with something, you know, like give you a starting point to engage with something. Um, and I've been having some interesting thoughts about what I'm going to do for my Inktober uh, challenge this year. But um, but I'm trying to find a clumsy way to segue into what this week's topic is about, this idea of the influence of constraints and how constraints influence the things that we make. Right. And we've talked about this in the past about and I know this is like a, a, an old saying that I like to trot out all the time in my classroom is that limitations breed creativity. You know, um, if you walk up to somebody uh, and say, you know, tell me a story, they're going to go, uh, 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 but if you say, tell me a story about your seventh birthday, suddenly you've got like a beginning point. You've got a place to jump off of and that limitation, which could feel like it confines you, suddenly liberates you to explore a lot of dimensions of that one day. Mm. Um, but this is not talking about necessarily storytelling limitations. We're talking about a different kind of limitation, right, Rob? Yeah, I think it's uh, it, it can be with uh, unforeseen consequences on a project where you've chosen some constraints. And, of, of course, those were, were likely well-serving and well-met at some point in time. And, and you, you got going on a project, you, you get a project, uh, maybe even fully produced. But then, uh-oh, there's this, this other side effects that, that that can pop up. And this wasn't inspired by any chance by last week's uh, extra lean that we recorded for the Patreon it, supporters, was it? It totally was. Actually, I was doing a little bit of reflection on my own after that, and I thought, wait a minute, this is a to- this is a full on topic. We should we need to visit this. Yeah, because we both have are are very far along on a couple of personal projects, and we both run into snags with. Um, Final implementation, right? And due to some choices we made early on about format, structure, approach, and delivery, and so on. Totally. And so now there's uh, like this new, you know, a new crossroads set of decisions and trade-offs. So what do you do? Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's what the movie Speed was all about, right? (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) What do you do, punk? What do you do? Hot shot. That's right. What do you do? Hot shot. Hot shot. Oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> yep. And you know what? I would say 
it's, it's like an over like if we're an overview section. Most of the time, I'm I'm okay with that. I'm okay with running into those those, those friction points because um, it usually results in me kind of going back and reinvestigating the initial idea and finding a more interesting solution. Hmm. But I'm betting we both have examples where it didn't net any positive results either, which we'll probably talk about in the ten thousand feet up section. I yeah, I imagine. I mean, so like these roadblocks. I mean, maybe there's a workaround, and you can sort of look back and appreciate how you learned. But like, it's sometimes a roadblock just is a is a roadblock, and not that. And sometimes rewarding. the roadblock is 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 a detour, saying like, no, 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 no. You thought you wanted to make this, but really, what you need to make is that. And you're like, oh, I'm so glad I ran into that. You know, <laughs> it, yeah, quite true. So, what do you think? Have I'm we, ready to hit it. You want me to hit the music? Yeah. Let's yeah, let's dig into this. All right. Uh, how about we just start out super intense? Oh, get into it. Always this is a, this is a deference. This is a deference to your uh, lower caffeine level. All right. So we're ten, we're uh, on the ground, uh, which is to say, like the section where we talk about actual, you know, hands-on approach to the topic. Well, what, what, how, what does it look like when we've engaged with this thing? And then we'll go back and get 10,000 feet up and maybe talk a little bit about the philosophical aspects or abstract aspects of this thing. So uh, how about comparing and contrasting some situations where we've, where the platform or the tools that we chose have led to unforeseen influence on the work? You want to go first, Rob? Okay. Uh, guitar fretter. Guitar Fretter is a game I made a few years back. I've updated it a few times, not quite once a year, almost like, you know, 0.75 times a year or so. And it's it's uh, something that I built in using this thing called the Corona SDK, which is sort of a, an environment that lets me express code and put in image and images and uh, sounds to, you know, mush them together and make a game. And, uh, that, and it turns out that they make it pretty, pretty easy to get that game onto iOS and well, whether that's iPhone or iPad, and then also on Android, both phones and tablets. And now they've expanded to other platforms, even where, uh, you know, Mac desktop and uh, Linux or Mac and windows desktop. So kind of interesting. And, uh, However, um, okay, so I build this game using the Chrome SDK and I get it out in the app stores and, you know, it has a fine life for, I think, like seven years now. And, well, this is a funny, this is a funny constraint. So that platform is something I could have chosen other things to do that. I could have chosen to go native to say, like, I'm going to build this in Java for, um, for Android. I'm going to build this in um, Objective-C for iOS, right? But, you know, this platform had this amazing thing where express your game with one set of files, just a little bit of extra configuration, a little bit of extra icons. And hey, guess what? Same code, different platforms, runs great. I mean, that was that was a very promising thing for me and where I was like, this this looks fantastic. I just need to get a little bit more comfortable with Lua as the programming language. A quirky thing, but totally learnable and no big deal. So it fulfills its promise. Um, years pass, and then I get this surprise, right? This is, this is the whole, like, there are trade-offs when it's like, 
you know, I built on this platform. I, it would have been hard to do a lot of things that felt like native uh, application specific, right? Like if I made a form or a, or a, a lot of, if I made a, um, a lot of a configuration page, like preferences or whatever, it wouldn't necessarily look like it belonged on Android or belonged on iOS. I was cool with that because it's a game, right? I'm like, yeah, no big deal. All this stuff like points to, this is perfect for me to make a game, but hidden what <clears throat> was this trade-off of they chose to put things into their platform that Google play decided this isn't okay. Right. So uh, it was inert. I wasn't using this set of technology in the app. It's, it just was like, it's like having tools in your toolbox. You're not touching, right? They're there, but you just kind of carry them along with you. Whatever. No, no harm. But it was something to do with like a, like an ad and analytics something, right? Oh, so it was tracking user yeah. activity. So it could, right? All right. And it went against the platform policy eventually, not right away, <laughs> but eventually mm-hmm. it did. And so here's where like my constraints, like, so maybe like I'm also, uh, I'm also to blame in this situation because what, what this all led to is that guitar fretter got booted out of the, uh, Google play app store. Right. Mm. Super not proud of that. And, uh, it's in part the surprise constraints of the tool that I chose and that my constraints, how I chose to like set myself up with this project. Right. Hey, if I make sure I've, I I put in like two hours a month, five hours a month, and to make sure that even if I'm not doing a new version, it's like this health check. Hey, is everything okay? Is there something, you know, whatever. Hey, this email from Google that I didn't really fully read um, until way many months later, right? Oh, crap. That's what that is. Let me, <laughs> let me look into this. And so I did. And I went back in and I updated it. I researched to, to try to have some sign that like, is it worth it to like rebuild with the Corona SDK? And will I be able to get back in? It seems that some other game creators have had success with that, at least on forums. However, it's, I don't know. I haven't verified that nor that that didn't work out for me because I've, I've gone back and did the work and, and uh, got it, you know, resubmitted and, you know, cleared through all the hoops and the, and the issues until the final one of like, Hey, but Oh, by the way, you're still not com- welcome back. <laughs> mm. So, cause I kind of thought that d- that door would have unlocked after resolving all the, uh, all the issues, but I don't know. And this is where I'm a little suspicious. Like I, I, I would have to, I need to invest even more time to dig into this, to see like, where, where's the real problem? Did they, did Corona really remove that or not? I don't know. Or, or is it just that I'm super locked out, not just kind of locked out? I don't know. Mm. And so I could rename it. I could rename Guitar Fredder into something else. I could basically go back in the app store and forget all the history of all the reviews and stuff, which there's a lot of good, really kind reviews on, on Guitar Fredder. It has, has a pretty good rating. But, um, yeah, so there's that. It's an unresolved puzzle now, and that um, definitely 
represents a surprise constraint to me. Um, in 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 two 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 levels, right? I'm owning the fact that I did not continue to tend and 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 nurture the game, right? right? I have taken long breaks from it, and in one of those long breaks, an issue popped up, right? But also, the issue popped up because mm-mm, something crappy was put inside there by the SDK. So, I mean, this is like a maybe we'll talk more about this in ten thousand feet up, but this is like. I, I use that initial uh, analogy or story of like if I say, "Tell me a story about your seventh birthday party," you've got a starting point, but there's a trade-off there. There's a trade-off in that. Well, now you can't talk about, or it's it's a harder leap to start talking about your divorce, right? When I say start with your seventh birthday party, <laughs> right? Yeah. It, it, it's uh, or you know like or depending on what kind of birthday party you had when you were seven, like there's maybe there's some baggage in there. But anyway, there's 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 trade-offs that come with any starting point. And it sounds like with the case of Corona SDK, it's like, yeah, it had these affordances to give you an easy on-ramp to be able to get it onto multiple platforms, but it, you aren't necessarily aware of everything that's happening while you're making something, right? Or if you are, it, it, things that seem benign can suddenly become less benign through policy changes of platforms that you host. And that's, that's the platform limitation too, right? Uh, this comes up a lot with, with like uh, hosting, comics hosting sites, right? Like, whether it's Keen Space or Keen Spot from the old days, or if it's Tapastic, or if it's Line Webtoon, or if it's Tumblr, or if it's, you know, whatever, their terms of service can change. Mm. And, uh, you know, suddenly if they decide that, like, for whatever reason, they decide that your thing is no longer acceptable content, out you go. Right? Yeah. Or if there's just something about your project that doesn't fit how that platform continues to get tended to. Right? Right. And yeah, I mean, this is this is good stuff to uh, to dig into. But I, I'm I'm super curious about your on the ground example. Like, yeah, so an on the ground example, and this is I, I'll start with like a, a successful one, and we'll see where it goes. One where I was happy, I was frustrated, I was very frustrated, and I had like a couple weeks going like, how am I going to solve this problem? Uh, and I was chronicling this all on my Patreon too. By the way, if anybody's really curious and want to see all the stuff, but I'll share a little bit of it. So last year. I finished a comic for Inktober for my comic Boulder and Fleet uh, called A Friendly Game. And here we are almost a year later, and I'm finally getting around to printing the darn thing. Uh, and it came down, it came time to work on the cover for the book. So the first thing, the first problem to solve is like, what's the cover going to look like? Did a whole bunch of different designs. Finally, you know, pulled some of my Patreon supporters, pulled some friends in my real life and said, you know, like, what, what, what's, what's standing out to you? Got a design. Great. Ann and I recently got a letterpress, uh, an old-timey press, like a lever, and it's got, like, rollers that roll on the ink. They roll on some ink, and then they roll the ink across up your typeface that you can set by hand. If you've been following me on Instagram, you've seen some of my experiments with this. I've been doing a lot of typesetting lately, learning how to use a letterpress. And it takes your paper, and the rollers go over the the letters like so, and then the paper gets pressed onto the letters, and it pulls off, and then you've got a print, right? Um, so we got this letter press, and uh, Ann starts telling me that uh, you know you you can do very very high resolution images. You can get them engraved into like copper and magnesium, and you can use it as a plate. And as as um, some of you may know, I mean, for years I've been making Boulder and Fleet mini comics that I screen print the covers mm-hmm. and I'm holding one up on the screen right now for those who are just listening. Uh, and uh, what I love about it is it creates like this nice textured feel. Rob, you know what I'm talking about. It's like you feel like this nice high quality paper, but then there's like this 
this tactile thing that happens with the silk screen ink, right? Oh, it's a beautiful touch, and it and it's it pops out visually and then tactile where you when you pick it up, it's it's yeah, it I really look, stands out, and it makes a mini comic feel like an art object, which I really like. Mm-hmm. Well, um, the problem is is that you can only get so high definition with a silk screen, like you know you, you can only get like so much detail, and that I ran into that with the Pickles and Taft comic, which I'm holding up to the screen. We'll see how good it shows up. But like yeah. the, the, uh, I, there was more detail on this initially. And then when I tried to burn the screen, it was like, nope, not, not all that detail is making it in there. And it was a really uh, high resolution screen I was using. So I had to like dial it back. Well, when it came time to do the, the, the cover for a friendly game and we got this letterpress and Ann says, oh, you can do a much higher resolution image. I'm like, cool. So I come up with this design and it was originally intended to be a two color. So like this this plant monster we see would be filled with one color and then our heroes would just be rendered in line art and I would use like maybe a lighter color paper. So it'd be like a two two pass. I'd get two plates made, one for the background color, one for the foreground color. Um well as it turns out, because I decided to do a wraparound cover, I I created a cover that's too big for the press that we have. Our press is five by eight. To print on a mini comic size, like for instance, if I were to open up a mini comic like this, we're talking oh, I should say five inches by eight inches, I should say. And so this cover opened up is eight and a half inches wide. Oh no, this is five and a what is this? This is like this is uh this is this is five and a half, right? By eight and a half. Yeah, that's right. So it's five and a half by eight and a half. So I'm a half inch shy on each side, which means, okay, well, and I talked to some different people, but I'm like, well, what do you think I should do? And they're like, well, just make the cover smaller and have more negative space. I'm like, no, I don't want it to look like that. I want it to look like what I want it to look like. So I scratched my head about this for a long time. What am I going to do? My, my, my chase or my letterpress won't fit it. I really like this design. I don't want to throw away the wraparound because, like, that was another option. It was like, let's just not do a wraparound. But if when you look at it and you see it opened up, it's like, it's really cool, right? Like, you see the monster about to get the heroes in the cover. And then you look around the back cover and you see, oh, there's a lot more to this monster, right? And there's poor Maggie being strangled by the monster at the top of the back cover. So after puzzling and puzzling, I was like, well, wait a second. Silk screen can only give you so much resolution. But it's a good enough resolution for a color fill. And if I do now actually have here the transparencies, so I can show you. So what if I did a color fill of the background color, then do a highlight color, and then the line art would be tur- turned into the plate, and which makes it just small enough. It's just narrow enough and just... Uh, short enough that it fits into our press so I can print <laughs> the high resolution line art which gives me I went from a two color print to a three color print because lining up two color fills would be relatively easy and then lining up the line art over top on the on the letterpress is much much simpler than doing it on uh, with the, my screen printing setup I don't know if I explained that very well I think but. you I think you did I mean it sounds like um I do have a, I do have a question, um, that, all right. So just my, like my understanding is you have, um, the, the letterpress isn't big enough for your paper. So I'm, I'm, but yet, uh, you were able to turn that into something that works given, you know, switching jobs as far as like, okay, I I guess screen printing could do a different job than the letterpress, but then how does that work in the end if the letterpress is still not, 
So the, the letterpress size for your paper. The letterpress can fit the paper just fine. Oh. It just it can't print the plate that big. So if you look at the images I have on the screen, I'm going to zoom in on one of them so you can see. So the yellow that we see here with the Boulder and Fleet logo and the color fills in the characters, the yellow, yeah. that's screen printed. Then the light green that we see inside of the plant monster, that's screen printed. But then the line art, that dark green line art around the characters, if you look, none of that line art goes higher than Maggie, right? It stops at Maggie. So it's, it's shorter than the actual page. Yeah. Uh, and then also because the plant monster stops about a quarter inch before the edge of the page, it's narrower in width than the image. So the plate now fits in the press, but I can still have a cover that has a full bleed and max or takes advantage of the whole size of the paper, right? That's awesome. Okay. Great. Have you have you done a test yet? Uh actually I'm doing a test uh of the letterpress plate uh next Wednesday. So oh, cool. I'm going to Letterpress Lab at the Ann Arbor District Library and uh I'm gonna, you know, do a trial run of printing with that plate. Um I haven't done the screen printing yet because I got to burn the screens. That this, this this transparency I was holding up a second ago. This is to burn my screens for uh, doing the two colors underneath. So mm. once I run the test next week, and man, there's so much in art that's all about testing, right? I'm testing on different materials, testing on different paper weights. I want to try on a hundred pound paper versus sixty pound paper. What's it going to look like if I print on the paper with this much tooth versus that much tooth? You know, uh, so much little fussiness that goes into this thing. Um, but once I got that test done, then it'll go on to, okay, well, now I'm going to screen print them, and I'll do probably like 300 uh, two-color passes, maybe 500. I might do 500. And then, because I'm only going to get maybe 70% of those are going to be any good, and then uh, then I'll do hopefully get like close to 80% uh, letterpress finished, you know, like the final pass, which will bring me down to whatever, like 300, co 300 covers. Wow. Is our okay? So, <laughs> the trade-offs seem like it. It seems like you you addressed larger ones, but now there's a couple of fine-tuning ones that remain. Maybe, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. Because I I addressed the design constraint of how do I get this really high-resolution image printed on such a small space and printed in a way where I'm doing it by hand, right? Because like I could I could send this to Kinkos if I really want to or FedEx, whatever you want to call it now. I can send it to a local copy shop if I really wanted to. But I want this to be something that's done by hand with our old-timey equipment. So there's that constraint. Um, there's the constraint of, I have this really dynamite image that I really want to be as high quality as possible, and I want to maintain as much fidelity as possible. Oh, also backing up. Um, I inked it originally by hand, or by hand, on paper, but realized after the fact that I used a lot of grayscale fills on it, like I was using a lot of dry brush effect, um, which I didn't find out until after the fact, can't translate to an engraved plate. Naturally, it couldn't. It needs to be a bitmapped image. It has to be 100% black, 100% white. So I re-inked it. I had to ink it twice. Inked it uh, again in my, uh, Clip Studio Paint with uh, anti-aliasing completely off. So it was absolutely pure black and pure white. Um, but then like, Leaner D. Jusan like messaged me privately when she saw that what I went through, and she's like, "Oh, here's like some scan settings that really would have helped you out." And I'm like, "Oh, you're right, it did help me out. I wouldn't have had to do that." But you know, that's that's part of the fun of the learning process is you make mistakes. Helpful people come along, point you towards really useful resources, and you move forward. But um, 
but anyway, yeah, it's been like a long learning process going through this experience, but it's one that uh, I'm really grateful for because the next time is going to be even easier and I'll know I have a wider set of options now as a result of that. And I think I'm going to have a better looking cover in the end than what I originally set out to have. It almost sounds like, I mean, you're, you've, you've been crafting a, a new mini comic platform. Yeah. In a way for you, for you, like, like you, you had your approach with the pickles and Taft and, and, uh, uh, heroes for hire, right? Uh, adventures for hire. Adventures for hire. Yep. And, and so that platform, and then this is like a new version of that platform to do, yeah. to do other, other projects perhaps. Yeah. I mean, it's going to allow me to explore different kinds of design, um, configurations because I can do a combination of screen printing and letterpress now, um, and let them each do what they're good at. So, right. So like in the case of pickles and Taft, I could easily reprint this cover now with doing the background color with the screen printing and then, or rather do the yellow, the yellow fills would be screen printed and then the green line art and, um, smudge behind them would be done on the letterpress. Oh, cool. Okay. And I would get a higher fidelity image and it would still have that wonderful tactile feel. And then another benefit of the letterpress, and this is like one of those things where an old technology comes into fashion because of its what was considered its flaws is that depending on the kind of paper you use and how much pressure, pressure you use, um, you've probably seen this on like when you get like a, a wedding invitation from people um, because they're popular with making like custom wedding invitations. If it can leave an impression like almost like an embossing on the paper. Mm. So when it presses the, the die on there, and that's what I'm going to test out next Wednesday, is when it impresses the ink, it leaves a slight indentation in the paper, which adds to that kind of tactile experience of touching the printed object, you know? Uh, yeah, how awesome. And I don't know how, <laughs> how annoying that that has become less common, but I suppose it's been... Yeah, it gives it a new life because it's special again as well. Yeah. So, well, off, and from so. what I understand, in 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 the old days when they were more widely in use, that was actually considered poor printing. Like, oh, you shouldn't have imp- impression. It should just be like lightly glanced on the paper, and it should feel perfectly smooth. So now, this thing that was an idiosyncrasy and kind of a flaw becomes what makes it desirable now because, like, you can't replicate that with other kinds of. You can't use an inkjet printer and get that effect, right? So. No, nope, not that I've seen. Um, I, I imagine you could come up with a production process that, that sort of beat up your paper somehow, <laughs> right? You do your printouts, you throw it in a box of BBs, right? Or a little, little metal, uh, metal ball bearings, shake it yeah. up. I don't know. Yeah. Not the same though. But yeah, so trade-offs, trade-offs leading to different design choices lead to, because like you are your experience with guitar fetter is leading you to try out a different technology, right? Well, absolutely. And so one of the, one of the reasons I am exploring unity is based on my experience in working with, um, you know, other platforms. I still, I have a, I have mixed feelings about things like the Crone SDK. I have a, and also that, um, uh, this Panda needs you isn't built in that it's built using, uh, JavaScript and web technologies, but it's packaged with, uh, something called cocoon and, or cocoon.io. 
And that has some trade-offs and, and whatnot and, you know, can reach some platforms yet not others where Unity comes along, Unity 3D, and it can reach a wide variety. And it's and it, honestly a, a mind-blowing variety of platforms. Like it, I could, uh, you know, anyone can build a game in that and then have it be, you know, potentially able to reach like the you know Xbox One, um, Nintendo's, you know, systems like the Switch or the Wii U, um, and even like the 3DS. Um, and of course, you know, desktops and, you know, um, Linux, Mac, Windows, on and on, and then mobile. I mean, it's the amount of platforms you can reach is, 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 is amazing. It's a wow. huge strength. And how much that sort of packaging and all the idiosyncrasies of, that uh, that building step of like, oh, great, I've expressed my game and, and then I get to play and test it. But now I've got to go somewhere. It, it needs to get deployed. That part has been nicely, nicely improved, I think, to to create a very distinct, desirable quality that uh, that unity has. So so hence I'm I'm learning that. As I'm, as I'm, you know, working along with, uh, you know, the, the existing technologies too, to, um, to do little updates and spread my current games to other platforms. Very cool. Yeah. So it sounds like it's, we're both headed in help, help, uh, hopeful directions despite some initial frustrations. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what do you, what, what other choice is, is there? Because, uh, <laughs> well, Let's explore that in 10,000 feet up okay. because, yeah, I mean, are all, does it always turn out for the best? Are we like Spock in Star Trek VI that we must have faith that the universe will unfold as, as it should? Um, or are there instances where you're like, you have to just, oh, yay, get out of here, you know? Uh, getting while the going's good. So, <laughs> sure. Some, sometimes abandoning, abandoning ship might be the best, op, the, the best outcome. Uh, available. Um, yeah, sounds good. Let's let's chew chew on that after a, a little uh, a little break. All right, so we'll do that in just a minute and a half. And but first, we have to thank some people who make this uh, podcast possible. And those people happen to be the folks who support us on Patreon. What is Patreon? Well, think of it as a way to give a monthly vote for the show. You believe in us. You believe in the stuff that we do. And for as little as a dollar a month, you can let us know that, you know, help make the show more sustainable. Uh, contribute. And if enough people contribute to the show, then it will indeed be sustainable. Our time will be paid for. Um, and we want to thank five people who have been doing just that, who have been believing in us and voting for us. And first, we want to thank Jonathan Warrenson. Thank you, Jonathan, so much for uh, supporting the show. We are LA Tech. You can find We Are LA Tech on Twitter at, get this, We Are LA Tech. Thank you for supporting the show. Also, Miriam, uh, longtime supporter of the show, and we deeply appreciate your support. And Brandon Dayton, at Brandon Dayton, one of the co-creators of Sketchbook Summer. That was a fun time. Uh, thank you, Brandon, for believing in us. And finally, uh, the mysterious K. We don't know who you are. We don't know anything about you, but we appreciate the fact that you have uh, showed up to support us. And if you want to support us, too, you can check us out at patreon.com slash leanintoart, where you can find all the shows that we produce, as well as the extra leans, the shows that we record just for people who support us on Patreon. And the latest episode, 111, was Creative Trouble Toolbox. That means, Rob, there's over 300 episodes of Lean Into Art in the can, and you can get them all at patreon.com slash leanintoart, right? That's totally right. 
and we deeply appreciate everyone's support. Patreon.com slash lean into art. Easy enough. Easy enough. You know the name of the show. You know Patreon. Boom. Okay. Ready to go uh, 10,000 feet up? Yeah. Let's think about this more. Okay. Well, let's do something. A little, bit, a little bit looser, a little bit more mellow. This is see the first music was like how Rob was when he was drinking caffeine on kind a of regular basis. This is more like Rob's speed on the green tea. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what upright bass, Rob? The upright bass on his way to work. Yep. Doom 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 doom. <laughs> oh yeah. Just grooving along, grooving along. Um, what are we grooving into? This uh, uh, this considering of... Is this all just sunshine and rainbows and unicorns? You encounter a problem, you just think really, really hard, and then everything falls into place? Are there, you know, what, exploring some of that emotional journey of that? Um, <laughs> uh <laughs> survivor's bias um yeah it's so funny i i do not recall what i read but it, it's uh some someone kind of made an equivalence to some ted talks in survivor survivor's bias right and, and it's like it's it it can like your experience makes sense to you partially because of how you make sense of it and it's it's a you know you could assign meaning to the you know flow of causality and stuff but um yeah, survivor's bias. If there was a TED Talk about survivor's bias, what would happen? I don't know. <laughs> it's a long, yeah. long walk. Long walk for it, you. It would, it would fold into itself. <laughs> fold into itself. Whoop. Yep. Now Good it's luck. an 11th, 11th dimensional uh, micro object. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, that, that's... I think we should acknowledge that trap, though, right? Yeah, I mean, so you've you've gone through... You you you've gone through some some bumps and bruises with uh you 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 get something out and maybe that the the sort of unforeseen constraints get you later or maybe they get you as you're trying to get the the project out or maybe they kind of get you along the way because it's you know there's something impeding you toward reaching a finish line and um, then what is your is your explanation of all that saying you know how do how do you engage with it how do you engage with that Jersey. Hmm. Um, well, I try to mitigate that by running lots of experiments. Um, hmm. And I know that, as, as we like to say in the show, no, no plan survives contact with the ground. Um, I'm not necessarily protecting myself from failure, but I am trying to get as clear a sense of what I'm messing with ahead of time. Um, through, and, and we've talked about this a lot of times in the show in the past, um, when I was getting ready to do Boulder and Fleet as a mini comic, I ran a lot of experiments as to what kind of technology could I use? Uh, what kind of workflow would make sense? How can I optimize this to make it as efficient as possible? Um, and how could I get the look that I want, right? All those different things, all those different trade-offs and balancing. Like, what's the... Because, um, like, you know, I would have loved to have been able to do it on a really lightweight, like even an Android device. I would have loved to make an Android device my like major main workstation, get it down that lean, but I couldn't get the look I wanted. Okay, can't do that, right? Boom, let's move on. And I didn't do that while I was working on the project. I did that ahead of time. But then I ran into um, 
Yeah, like for okay, so like talk about a failed one. Um, there is an unfinished Captain Cat comic that I started on my Android devices. Um, just sitting on hard drives. I think I got like six pages done of it. It was only supposed to be like maybe twelve pages. So I'm like halfway done with the thing. It sits there still from from years ago. Um, and and I actually really kind of like the story. Um, it's uh, it's something I would love to do, but it's just something where it's like, ooh, it was so painful working in that environment. I would have to start drawing it from scratch again if I wanted to do it now, right? Hmm. Um, so yeah, there's been instances where it's like, I start out with this kind of experimental feeling of, oh, let's see what I can do with these kinds of constraints. And then I like halfway through, I'm like, this is, this isn't worth it. Um, now I'm just doing this for the, for grit's sake and not doing it for, to make an interesting product or an inter- interesting piece of art. Super quick question about that, uh, about that project about, uh, what was it? Captain cat or Maggie? Captain cat. Or, yeah. Okay. Captain cat. Um, it's sort of locked away. Is that, is that something that that could become sort of a different stage asset when it instead of totally redoing it would why wouldn't those become like the pencils or something I suppose so let me pull one up i mean I now, and this so. is you know two cents from you know bouncing it off of you know bouncing it off a friend right right uh I would have to look at the files again and let me see i'm I'm opening up one right now. Oh, of course, I open up a non-layered one. Uh, here's one of the pages. Like, hmm. um, The idea was I was trying to draw it entirely in uh, Layer Paint HD. So it's mm-hmm. an MDP file. Um, but that that computer, that, that tablet, just could, with two gigs of RAM, and I don't know what kind of processor it had, and it just could not handle the multiple layers I wanted to work in. So that was one of the trails. Let me, let me, let me see if I can pull up one of the um, layered files. Okay. Here we go. And I'll see if the pencils are there. Because, yeah, you're right. If that's the case, here's one of the earlier pages, too. Uh, are the pencils there? Oh, I shut off all these layers. Well, I'll be, I'll be doggone. Yeah. There are well, pencil files here. And, I mean, even if... Um, couldn't the final work, if it's all flattened due to platform constraints and trade-off, I mean... Technically, there's there's some something to base. You could treat that as pencils, you know, tracing over your old work. That's true. Um, anyway, and uh, just working through this as like a, a modeling exercise of saying like, well, shoot, um, maybe one way to, ex, you know, reengage with an old project is getting some some reaction and feedback from from someone in your in your brain trust, right? Mm. Uh, because I mean that's actually why I'm 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 revisiting making Guitar Fretter for more platforms instead of saying like no what I really need to do is is Guitar Fretter two on the new thing that I'm not fully familiar with and whatever. Uh and just you know, a, a friend was like, well, why, why don't you get that out there and whatever? And it's just you know just that that little bit of additional question from a different perspective and i'm like i don't know why not yeah (laughs) this is a good point um so i know our question was about like is this is this always you know is it always a good outcome um maybe well i have i have an instance where there's another one where um I bit off more than I could chew and it was mini comic day. And I want to say five years ago 
and I actually said, I'm going to walk out of here with an eight page mini comic. Right. And w- which I did years later. I mean, like I, uh, I, there's a mini comic I did called fish don't have teeth. Some fish don't have teeth. I know. Uh, but I did do that at mini comic day. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the number one thing people like to say at my table when I'm tabling at conventions, you know, some, fi- yes, I know the titles fish don't have teeth. Read the book, read the book. We'll see what we think. But, um, anyway, <laughs> um, so the first year I tried to do this, I actually went in with um, eight and a half by eleven Bristol, and I'm like, I'm gonna pencil it, and I'm gonna ink it on eight and a half by eleven Bristol, and I'm gonna shrink it down to mini comic size, right? Mm-hmm. Um, working that big turned out to be much more than I could handle in the eight hours that was oh. that we had, and also I was trying to come up with a brand new concept out of nowhere. You know, I, I put too many limitations on it, and I came up with this thing called RJ Rocket Arms, and it was gonna be like this this like crazy future robot story. Um, where Captain R.J. Rocket Arms leads like the space police force in the future, and it's going to be this silly, goofy thing. Uh, and it's one of those ones where I hit those walls, uh, those friction walls, and then I put it in a drawer, and I go back and look at it now, and I'm like, this isn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't want to resuscitate it. I'm glad I didn't finish it, because it's not that good. The concept uh-huh. of a character named R.J. Rocket Arms, or Rocket Punch, I think is what the original one, R.J. Rocket Punch, I'd still like that, and I'm still going to use it, but just not in its original implementation. Hmm. So, so that's one where it did die. And even then, it didn't quite all the way. It's like that practice, that effort, some output has has. Uh, uh, it's being used. It's being leveraged. Uh, it's going into something else, transformed, reshaped. Right. Sure. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe maybe there is something to. Uh, so I don't know something to hmm I guess if this experience is laying around if there's output from your experiences laying around you can like the value you set to it is pretty flexible you could you could be super precious about it and say like no matter what this thing's getting out in some form or the form I envisioned and then I'm going to keep adapting tools or you could say that uh, I need a break because I just need fresh perspective and time and that time and distance all of a sudden, like I will, uh, I realize, wait a minute, like this concept as it is in this form, isn't, isn't really fit. I'm not really into it or whatever now, but then look at this, a character survives, right? Yeah. Or a name or a concept. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I like, uh, the idea of checking in with your brain trust, but I wonder if you have some other, uh, thoughts on ways to, calibrate or triangulate like when those frictions happen like how do i know if this is worth keeping well let's see if it's worth if it's worth keeping i and that that's something that's changed for me over time like i I was planning on doing underwater tomato ninja as it is more or less as like an app store game and Mm. you know just as a a demo another way to get the name out there and stuff and so underwater tomato ninja is is a sort of um, it's a game that I've, that I released with the book, um, create a game construction kit, underwater tomato ninja edition. And it's just, you know, it's an open source project in its current form, but I thought, oh, I'm going to put this on other, other platform forms and sort of just, you know, spread the word and be a good exercise and practice and stuff. And then I just sort of cooled on that project and thought, this isn't really representative of how, of how I want to do games 
going forward, right? It's very much uh, procedurally animated where the characters move along. It's a still image. So, yeah, there's a little bit of things where you can, you can make a still image, you know, breathe a little bit with some code. You can make it wobble a little bit or, you know, move in a, in a way that's, that gives it a little more feeling of uh, this thing isn't just this stale, dead picture I'm dragging across the screen, right? Anyway, but even then... It's not quite enough. I wanted to add, you know, cell animation, stuff like that, and whatever. So um, there's a lot of these there, There's a lot of these things that I've tabled, but then all of a sudden that is I'm working on, you know, Ninja versus Tomato King. So, like, that's one of the games I'm using to teach myself Unity. All right. So interesting shelving, maybe not of, of, a, of a project where it sort of generates as a new thing. Um. But like when I when I'm looking at that, I I I think sometimes that I'm looking at myself as the mismatch of like maybe my expectations were, um, just out of out of alignment. Like what what kind of time do I have to put into this? And is this a um, am, am I trying to build a thing that's that's well suited toward my available resources, and or habits, right? And so I think there's a sort of me as a, as a, I'm an, I'm an important aspect of my toolbox. Right. Um, but then platform mismatches happen. Um, and then, then sort of what do you do? Right. And because like you, you mentioned, uh, you didn't say like future proofing. You were like, you said something like you don't expect to be able to protect yourself from, from like unforeseen, complications of making the thing right i'm not trying to put it make a bulletproof vest by doing experiments the experimentation is to is to manage risk and to get i don't know how it is for you rob but for me with my creative endeavors um i think of this example that i once heard uh my teaching friend mary joe once say is that you go to see the movie you go see harry potter and you go that's not who should have played ron weasley and the friend says well who should have i don't know but not him you got a picture in your head. You have a clear picture in your head, but you can't see it. I mean, your brain's got to figure it out, but you can't conjure that visual. And I feel like that's how creative projects start for me a lot of the times. Like I have this feeling, I have this gut reaction, like it's gonna feel something like this. I can't, I can't, um, I can't clearly speak to it. I can't describe it very accurately. And the experimentation becomes a way of me finding the language. That's part of it too. So it's not just about it diminishing risk it's also about me like sort of like forging the the, the image for myself mm. um but but yeah i know that i'm gonna hit weird little parts in the process where uh in the in the, the making the thing where it's either the, the tools aren't doing what i want them to or the rather i'm not my interaction with the tools isn't netting the results that i'd hope to um or the platform changes right um, yep. or rules can change. Um, and, for instance, like, yeah. yeah, no, and that can happen for a lot of reasons. It's very, it's yeah. very natural. You can think like, well, you know, I loved this version of an app, but the, now they updated it and my, yeah. and my old one doesn't run anymore or whatever. And then and now what, because I don't really like the choices they made or the company goes out of business or the, the, uh, particular model of pencil you love is no longer being sold. 
<laughs> and all that stuff. You're hitting me at a pain point. I can, it can happen for yeah. totally natural reasons. It can seem pr- pretty personal and frustrating, but like here you are. Now it's, it's your problem regardless, right? Right, right. Um, yeah, I even had it happen with paper, right? Like I, oh. there was a brand of Bristol that I adored for many years and all of a sudden I started buying batches of it and like half of it had like, it would, uh, the, 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 the fibers would like kind of fray up when I was working on or crow quills. Like I, I was, I was a big lover of crow quills for a long time, but I noticed that sometimes the, the, the quality of construction would be a little shoddy or let me see, I'm using strong language. I mean, the quality would not be consistent and some batches would not be awesome and some batches would be super awesome so it's like yeah you're you're really at the mercy of some of the things like the some no, rather, the bigger ecosystem yeah which can that, seem for yeah it's like some some little weird change like uh halfway across the planet where someone used one supplier to get the metal for the the crow quill nibs and then was yeah. like well we got a better deal from this other one or, oh, that one went out of business. And now, so now they're in the situation of like, well, shoot, I had this reliable source and now what do I do? And then they, they make a change and it has these rippling effects, right? Yeah. Uh, so, but here we are and we experience it, you know, at, at, in our place in the ecosystem. Right. Um, Killer Maddie in the chat is ask, actually asking, how do you decide when to give up on a project or power through? We've been kind of dancing around that a little bit. Hmm. Um, and, and, and I wonder if we could make that our final thought today. Um, but, you know, one. it's like going back to the RJ rocket punch thing I was talking about. Um, that was a situation where it's like, I was like, let me put it in a drawer. Just need to step away from it. Give myself a little breathing space. Then I'll come back to it. And then I came back. And I was like, no, no, no. Uh, it's, that's ugly, baby. I don't want that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, sometimes it's that. But I, I'm sure there's some other, you know, decision-making strategies that we've used in the past. Um, how do we know when it's like, should nope, this one's not happening versus, no, this one needs to happen. Or maybe I just need to power through and just, you know, see it through to the end, right? Um, talk a lot I, about frictions. How do we, how do we get fantastic. to the end, right? Let's, uh, yeah, let's, let's talk about uh, our, some ways that we think about that as our final thoughts. Great. Okay. All right, well, we will talk about that in about a minute. Um, but before we do that, we got to thank a few other people who make the show possible, and those people happen to be us we make the show uh but we also make other kinds of stuff which feeds all of our ideas that we explore on the show and the first thing i would like you to check out of mine is a comic called boulder and fleet i've been mentioning it a couple times on the show today uh what is it it's about two best friends who uh try to go into business as adventurers for hire which means we're gonna get in adventures which means we're gonna find ourselves in danger which means uh uh-oh my partner's a pacifist how do we solve problems with dangerous people when one of the characters doesn't like to fight uh, and as you can see, it's got cute animals and people clothes and crazy uh, bug monsters and armor. Um, kind of a combination of uh, action, adventure, and cuteness. And it's at boulderfleet.com. And there is a Patreon where you can see a lot of my in-progress work at patreon.com slash jersey. Rob, you make a game. I do. And this one is called This Panda Needs You. And what what this game is all about is a it's a it's a pattern matching, problem solving puzzle game where you deal with uh, shapes and physics. You've got uh, the colors of the shapes also, 
and uh, a panda is just walking along through a nice little bamboo field or bamboo forest and sees this the, a stack of blocks, and well, here they are, as they should be. Then a cloud comes along, knocks them all down, and you're here to help the panda put it all put it all right. And it's, you know, it starts out really easy, gets a lot more challenging as you go on. There's over 50 levels, and it works on your iPhone and iPad, and hopefully soon more platforms. But right now, you can get it at the iTunes App Store, search for This Panda Needs You, or go to this-panda.com for an easy link. And if you're here because, after all, you like the way we think about stuff, and yeah, it's nice that we make stuff too, but this is really what you're here for is the Lean Into Artcast. Fair enough, because that's another thing that we make. This is a thing that we make in addition to all the other stuff that we make. And you can get more of that kind of stuff at leanintoart.com slash workshops. If you haven't checked it out yet, there are self-contained workshops, videos there, uh, workshop video series in some cases where uh, I explore all sorts of deep and nerdy places about uh, comic book construction and Rob explores deep and nerdy places about uh, UI design and uh, making video games. We've been talking about video games a lot today. And even turning jokes into comics. Laughing Getty, Monkey Spaghetti. All available at leanintoart.com slash workshops at a price of your choosing, even zero. You can just download them. And if you get a lot of value out of them, you can always go back and purchase them. Can I consider that giving us a tip? Um, or, you know, if you've done all that stuff, you've interacted with our comics, download a Rob's Games. By the way, if you download any of Rob's Games, um, give him a star rating. That is really useful to help more people find the game. And that leads me to this point about the show. If you're watching the video right now on YouTube, giving it a thumbs up helps more people discover the show. Uh, if you listen to the podcast, giving it a star review on uh, podcatcher of your choice, five-star review helps more people find the show, raises our rankings and search. And we thank everybody who has been doing those things. I got one more thing I want to jam into this, Rob. Mm-hmm. Um, the cover for Science Comics Rockets was revealed on Entertainment Weekly this week. So cool. Congratulations. Yeah. This is so awesome, man. It looks Thanks. beautiful. It's pretty cool. So um, I'm going to be making a lot more noise about this in the weeks to come. But uh, yes, First Second uh, is producing this Science Comics series. And I and my wife, Anne, were lucky enough to get a chance to uh, contribute a book about one of our favorite subjects, which is rockets and rocket history. Um, and so it's the log line for it is uh, Carl Sagan's Cosmos as hosted by grumpy animals in the uh, style or the pacing of Larry Gonick's cartoon history of the universe. So it's fast paced. Um, you'll learn about physics and how rockets work, but you'll also learn a lot about animals and rocket history. So that comes out next June, June of 2018. But it's pretty cool to see my our cover on there on Entertainment Weekly. Anyway, that's awesome. And so this is a, it's a good time to get in on the ground floor and, you know, help spread the excitement on this, on on a really cool project. I'm going to be launching some, launching, launching something uh, very soon. Uh, Ann and I are putting something together to sort of like build up some, uh, sort of like build an on-ramp to the release of the book. Um, And we're going to be making some neat giveaways and things. So TBD, we'll be announcing it on the Lean to Art cast in the weeks to come. Uh, and th- thanks, uh, Killer Maddie, in the chat for the congratulations. Yeah, we're really excited about the book. It was a lot of really hard work, but um, now comes the, the really cool part where the book comes out and they get to watch people interact with it. Um, final thought time, Rob. So this is definitely big enough to be a whole episode, right? And uh, something <laughs> that we have explored multiple times, the the whole idea of... Um, what kind of projects do you end up, you know, going further with or versus pausing, what have you. And uh, so like, how do you decide 
whether you you pause or abandon or push onward with with a project and i'm assuming in the context of um some kind of you know some kind of challenge or twist pops up Mm -hmm. so how do you decide jersey you're working on the thing um and you have been this close to it right it's right in front of your face for months and months and months Mm-hmm. And when you get into that kind of space, you lose perspective. Is this good? I don't know. You know, um, or um, it's it's a time drain. It takes, let's say, five hours a week when you're already working forty hours a week, plus family and friends. Maybe you have children. That five hours five hours a week can become a substantial uh, pot of energy to maintain and nurture, and that can drain on you. Like, oh, I got to do that thing again why am I doing this again? Uh, right. Or you've been putting a lot of years into it. Like I've been doing this thing for three years and I'm, you know, you hear people say like, wow, it took me two years to build up my 10,000 fans. And then you're like, well, I've been doing this for five. Why haven't I gotten that? Right. Is it worth it? There's a lot of, a lot of signals can go on to make you doubt and wonder what the thing is. And right. And, and rightly so, because like that's, you should be evaluating those signals to help you calibrate and tweak and refine and, you know, uh, update your perception and what you're trying to do and what the work looks like. Right. Totally. That's reasonable. Um, so, but something you said earlier that I think is really useful. Um, this goes back to the Boulder and fleet thing that I was showing you guys. I was showing the, the page that I was showing, I was specifically chose because it's, it's one of the earliest pages of the comic. And, uh, I know I've told the story a bunch of times, but it was just a little fun experiment that I did, made it a mini comic, took it to comic cons and uh, I knew it was good. I didn't really, like, it wasn't, like, my thing. It was, like, this is the thing that I want to, you know, invest the next couple of years of my life into. But it got signals from my brain trust. People who I really valued their opinion and their perspective and their worldview and their taste really reacted to it. And, like, I, it sold well at cons compared to my other books, too. But what was more important to me was that, like, people whose taste I really, really valued responded very positively. I'm like, okay, I need to look at this again. Um, and then also those are the same people I went to when I hit the hard points in making the, the long Boulder and fleet story, which took like a year and a half to make, uh, called mining for trouble. Um, Rob, you're part of this group. I have a, a small group of people. Uh, the, it literally is called like a circle of trust that I keep on, uh, Facebook. And like when I'm really stuck, I'll be like, I'll post an image. I'll post the thing. And I'll be like, okay, am I crazy? Or is, is there something wrong with this? Or is there something right with this? I just need somebody to react to this, right? Um, because you're not always getting a huge reaction from the, gen- the general public. So sometimes you have to go to your brain trust. That's like my first big one is if, if you can find or nurture a brain trust, even if it starts out with just like the people who are closest to your, your, you in your life, like my little brother, who's not an artist, he's a musician, right? Well, he's an artist, but he's not a visual artist. He's a musician. Like, he would be somebody that would turn to him and be like, okay, you know what I'm trying to do. You have a good sense of taste. Or my wife, right? People who are, you can start there and sort of build out. Um, that'd be one that I would use. What would, what else would you layer on that, Rob? I don't have a lot to layer on it, but but maybe, I don't know, highlight things. that. Okay. that totally I said a lot of words. Don't, but through a biased lens. No, like I, I think it's it, it's crystal clear. It makes sense that, that the kind of signals that you're looking for and how I end up sort of I end up mapping that is through this the the, the like human centered design 
circles of, well, you're looking for the desirability, the feasibility, and the viability. And this is a project I'm doing for some intention, right? And am I getting signals in these three different buckets toward being able to bring about an outcome I'm expect I, I am seeking for based on that intention. So it's, um, and, and so for you, you're, you, there's different places where you can get the, um, some signals on the sort of de- the desirability talking to your, to your brain trust is, is huge for that. Um, some of your brain trust may have some, some, uh, expertise in the market and stuff too, where it's like, okay, they have some hint at, at viability, right? Um, but then again, viability, seeing people actually buy something that that's representative or related to the project you're working on. That's great evidence. That's a huge signal. That's like observable evidence, real world behavior, money happened, you know, engaging in trade for that thing, huge data, huge signal. Um, and then you have the whole, like, well, the, the, uh, the feasibility aspect of like, can I produce this and, and is it working and whatnot? So all that stuff is what I would think about as far as pausing or abandoning or pushing on. Am I ready in all three of those? Am I ready in two of those? And like, how do I feel about that? And so it's really, that's, that's your, that's your call where if you're seeing a gap of like, well, I I guess I'm not ready in this way or that way. Uh, how do you how do you go about um, changing that, and how do you feel about that? I, I what I love about what you're describing is it's it's a very different mindset than powering through. Powering through has this sort of like bull kind of feeling, like I'm charging and I'm I may be fatigued, I may have a bunch of like you know pikes sticking out of my back, but I'm pushing. Right. Whereas you're talking about more of leveraging. It's like, whoa, I push there and nothing really happens. Well, what if I push here? Right. Yeah. Much more like judo. But yeah. Pushing, pushing with that intention and perspective. So um, if you're, if you're, if you, if you feel confident enough after you've, and it's trying to get a little bit of perspective beyond your, um, your love for your project. If that's gone, maybe you need some, maybe you need a break. Right. Um, or maybe you need to push through if it's, if it's like, well, you made a big commitment and it is, it, 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 you've got good signal. It looks feasible, viable, and desirable. Okay. Let, yeah. Let's put those three words again and like give them, um, a little bit more of a, uh, feasible building feasible right? means what Fe- feasible. Can you build it? Are you good at building it? You know, the way you're trying to build it, right? Feasible, viable money, right? Does, is, is it f- financially going to work out? However, you're going to engage in trade with that, right? That is um, viable. Desirable, that's the human aspect, right? Where it's like, okay, people have shown, you know, love, interest, um, usage, engagement, connection, reaction, something, right? And especially if that's coming from like trusted sources. The second, like, so you have your brain trust as far as like the collaborator level. I think the other level or different level would be um, like a trusted uh top fans or, or people who are yep. consuming your, your stuff yep. that, um, your patrons, for instance, can yeah, have a b- yeah. big influence and on I, your project. I have come to rely on them a lot. Um, so the people who support me on Patreon and it's not like I've got thousands of them. It's like, it's a, it's a small group, but they're very, they very much believe in what I'm doing. So it's, uh, super valuable to me to go to them and say like, okay, here's 10 things that I'm thinking about 10 different designs. What, what's speaking to you guys? And then I get really good feedback from them. Um, and 
who better to give me feedback than the people who like what I do enough to financially support it? Totally. It's like if you don't have that feedback and then just people reacting with when they where they don't have much much investment, that's, you know, that's that's a signal too, but I wouldn't weight that one as heavy as someone yep. who's actually investing in and um agreed. And and I will say um, to back up Rob's point, um I've come to use that Facebook group a lot less ever since I started running the Patreon. <laughs> it's like, cause I, yeah, their, their signal, uh, it, it means a lot more to the growth of the book as far as my, I'm concerned. Um, I like getting the positive feedback from my friends, but, um, getting the feedback from people who are financially backing the thing, uh, is, is a lot stronger and clearer and more informative signal. Absolutely. And, and, uh, it's so relevant because you know, they care and you know, it matters to them. And, uh, you know, that's really valuable. So then, you know, it, it is it, but there's nothing pre predefined with all this, like whatever data you end up getting from those perspectives will hopefully help make it easier for you to make a decision, but it doesn't make the decision. Yeah. Cause you could just <laughs> totally ignore that and do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Oh, and we laugh because we've both been there. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) We've both been climbing into that X-Wing on Dagobah while a bunch of smart people are saying, no, don't do that. That's a bad idea. And we're like, no, I got a a vision. (laughs) Exactly. (sighs) All right. Well, I think think we did a thing. I Um, think so, too. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Rob, for this discussion. And uh, thanks, everybody, in the chat who's been watching live for uh, participating and uh, thanks for everybody who downloads, watches and listens. And uh, the show will be archived at patreon.com slash lean into art. We record every Thursday at 10 PM Eastern time. You can participate live at lean into art.com slash live. Um, or you can just watch it on YouTube after the fact or download the podcast after the fact, any way you like it. And until next time I have been Jersey Drozd of lean into art.com and Jersey on Twitter. And I've been Rob Stenzinger of leanintoart.com and Rob Stenzinger on Twitter. Okay, bye. Oh, I mean, okay, bye. Show notes for this episode can be found at leanintoart.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the user leanintoart. And you can reach us via email at leanintoart at gmail.com. And remember, leaners aren't wieners. Thanks for listening.